The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're very fortunate to have with us Marcel Champy, who's the head of Ultra Testing, who's a poet and artist and does so many different things we're going to hear all about. Marcy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here today. As I mentioned earlier, I feel like I already know you from our interactions on social media and through your website. And thank you for all you do. I share your articles and interviews frequently at Ultra Testing, and they're, they're just a wealth of information. So really appreciate your efforts and your organization. Well, thank you very much. When um, We're going to learn and teach our audience all the great stuff you're doing. But first, we'll start with just some background. Um, tell us about yourself. Well, my name is Marcy Champy, and my author's name or pen name is Samantha Craft. More people know me by Samantha Craft. I started a blog over six years ago, shortly after I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. At that time, there wasn't a lot of information that I could readily find online about females with Asperger's. Um, there were a few, a couple authors that were wonderful that I looked into their books, but other than that, it was very much lacking. And I was processing what it was like to be an adult on the spectrum diagnosed later in years. Um, it launched after I was pursuing a second master's degree in counseling and the head of the department of the college, I went up to him and told him that more than likely I was on the spectrum. I was seeking diagnosis. And for about five minutes, he continued. Uh, he started to belittle me and question me and make assumptions about me that I was saying that I was had Asperger's based on my son having Asperger's that I was inventing by diagnosis so I could feel closer to him, um, that I was announcing to the world that I had a broken brain. Um, was I going to medit medicate him and, and damage him, essentially? And so the reaction I got from the professor really shocked me and, and had a dramatic effect on my life. And what I did is I channeled that negativity and that hurt into something more productive and more beautiful in the world. And I started writing about my experience as a woman on the spectrum. Later on, uh, after more than a thousand pages of that blog and writing every day for uh, more than a year, uh, in a total of four years, I believe, many people started asking if I would turn the blog into a book. And so it's now in its second edition picked up by a publisher in the UK called Your Stories Matter. He focuses on stories written by actual people who are neurodivergent. So I'm very proud to be part of that establishment. Uh, in addition, I have three sons. We live in the state of Washington. And my middle son, who is now just turned 20, Andrew, is on the autism spectrum diagnosed with Asperger's at age four. And he is doing very well in his first year at college this year. So we're excited about that. Um, I used to be a school teacher. I have a master's in education, taught for several years. And as you mentioned, I also like to paint and write poetry. I have three blogs in total. I have another blog called Everyday Aspie. And I'm also the senior recruiter and inclusion and diversity specialist at Ultra Testing, which is a 
company with a neurodiverse hiring initiative, and I can talk to you more about that in a while. Based on this terrific background you have and the fact that your brain is obviously a high octane, you're a lot smarter than me. So this, I want to ask you, <laughs> where do you think the research community, the autism research community might be going wrong at this time that might be redirected if you have an opinion on that? It's an interesting question. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, off the top of my head, I would say one way they've majorly had it wrong is that the their scope is too narrow. Um, it's they're forgetting that autism covers a broad range of of individuals, including women, um, including people that are over thirty, um, including people that aren't Caucasian. Uh, so they're. And also, I'd say, I'd say that's one factor. I'd say another factor is forgetting to go to the, the source itself, autistic individuals, and asking them. Because so often I have a Facebook page called Everyday Asperger's, and so often I'll post a study or, or some news, and they'll say, well, duh, we knew that years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing new there. They could have just asked a room full of autistics. Yeah, really. Um, you know, this research when they, you know, why don't you just go to the source and, and ask the autistic adults and, and find out more about what's going on with us. And, it, and you know, the, the, non, the ones that don't speak in traditional manners as well, you know, you can ask them through communication devices. Ask us, ask the children. Um, I think also where they have it wrong is they undermine and underscore our accomplishments and where we are successful. On my website, my personal website uh, called Spectrum Suite, Suite is in an office, S-U-I-T-E, it's myspectrumsuite.com. I spent a long time listing all different autistics around the world and autistics that are you know, doing different things, artists, um, speakers, authors, advocates, so that when I meet with parents or other autistic individuals, I could say, you know, we're not, we are successing some, we are having successes. Some of us, of course, aren't. And that's not to undermine or underscore the people that do have huge challenges and having a hard time with certain types of success in life. But there are autistics that are. And so I would say to focus, if the media could focus more on that, um, too often, if you're watching a newscast in the last several years, you'll see a superior standing above this inferior white Caucasian tech person, <laughs> male, sitting at his computer saying, well, we learn just to be frank towards them. We learn, you know, just, just to say it as it is. You know, we're, we're tailoring so they understand us. And, and it's so demeaning and, it, and it's so stereotypical. And, it, you know, why aren't they both standing at an equal level? And why isn't the autistic person the one that's the manager standing up? and the non-autistic one, the one on the computer, and why isn't that autistic manager saying, yeah, we're working to teach them the way our brain works so that we can have we can have an environment that's more inclusive and we understand our differences and we understand diversity and we celebrate that. Um, so much of it is about singling out what's wrong and, and fixing and, and how to make us better when a lot of us already think we're just fine the way we are. Um, now, regarding um, females, um, 
Have you run into uh, Tanya Marshall in Australia? Yes, I have. Um, she actually featured me in one of her earlier books. Um, the Aspian Female. Yes, I, yes, I'm featured in there. Uh, she also reviewed my book, Everyday Asperger's, for me. And we've had associations, not not so much recently, but we've had associations and conversations online through social media. So, yes, I am aware of her work. So I'm aware of um, several different advocates and, and authors and speakers' works. And I try to keep very updated on what's going on in the autism community and the culture. I don't know what the real numbers are. What's your best guess as to any ratios? You know, I'm starting to see the numbers are increasing from up to between 1% and 2% to more closer to 3%. And I would venture to say of the population, and I'd venture to say that autistics as a whole is going to continue to rise as more people that have self-diagnosed come out, um, more people are correctly diagnosed that have been incorrectly diagnosed so often, particularly females. And as far as the ratio between males and females, personally, I think it's more of a one-to-one, -one, but that we present in a different way than males on the spectrum so that we're often uh, slip, we slip through and we're not, uh, we're not identified usually at all, and if so, not till a latter age. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't help the fact that most of the stuff is written by men or has been historically up to this yeah, point. Yeah, I've talked about that. Not only is it not only written by men, but it's also written by people who aren't autistic. Absolutely, and, and you know. There's, yeah, there's one thing I, I talk about, and I was at a conference almost a couple of years ago, and the... People that went on stage, there was a hearing impaired, um, blind blind person, and someone with, uh, excuse me for a minute, with dyslexia, and they all went on stage and represented themselves and talked about their experience, which was wonderful. But then when it was time for the autistic to be represented, it was the head of an organization who wasn't autistic that went on stage and talked about it. And I always say, you know, if you wanted to learn about females, would we put a male on stage and have him explain what it's like to be a female? Or if you wanted to learn what it was like to be someone who was blind, would you put someone with 20-20 vision on stage and explain what it's like to be blind? So why is it okay that we keep doing this with autistics and, and those that identify with Asperger's or autism? Why, why is that okay? Uh, and for some reason, because it's an invisible disability in most cases, um, maybe we're looked at as quirky or strange or odd, but not disabled. For some reason, we're not seen the same as other people with disabilities where, well, we have a voice and, and we can tell you what our story is. And we're starting to see that more and more in the last, I've been following the flow, ebb and flow for the last six years. And it's, I mean, it's exploded as far as, you know, here's my story. Before yeah. there's hardly any stories about it. Now they're everywhere. But unfortunately, what's happening with the change of the DSM-5 and the uh, umbrella of autism spectrum disorders having Asperger's fall under it, is now there's becoming this internal division where there's one side of this advocacy group who says, you can't use Asperger's, you can't use functioning labels, you can't use all this, it's, it's discrimination, it's dividing us more, and so what's happening is there's, there's becoming all these divisions within our actual um, 
neurodiversity movement, which, you know, hopefully that's growing pains. Hopefully that's just what happens with any type of advocacy movement, but it, it's difficult to watch. What's happening is there's parents and there's individuals who are saying, you know, by saying, by focusing on all of our successes and how capable we are and, and being so outspoken, we're not giving due justice to the children that are harming themselves and harming other people and cannot communicate in any manner and, and cannot function independently at all, that they need that help, that they need that assistance. So that's one of the challenges that we're facing today that I'm, I'm watching unfold. I'm hoping that I, I try to promote kindness and respect and debate in a very logical, rational, remove your emotions from it, no name calling way where you're talking about the issues, not about people. But too often what's happening within these, these groups is they're starting to be name calling and talking about people and not the issues themselves. What is one piece of advice you'd have for someone who just got diagnosed with autism as an adult? That's interesting. I was meeting with a father who has a son that's on the spectrum yesterday to see how I might support them. And I also, at the Love and Autism Conference in San Diego last year, I taught a breakout session on empowerment for those on the spectrum. So I had a lot of think time for this for this question. So let me see if I can reformulate. I also often do much better on paper than I do speaking aloud. I can get vast amounts out on paper. And then when I try to formulate it aloud because of my dyslexia and dyspraxia and working memory issues. And what I teach about is, first of all, finding out what autism means to you as an individual. What is Asperger's? What is autism? What? How are you going to identify in this world? So what would that mean? That would mean looking for tools, going to books written by actual autistics, blogs written by autistics, uh, YouTubes, your type, your type of um, media that you put out there into the world that helps. Going to those resources and really understanding what autism is about. When I was explaining it to the gentleman yesterday, I was explaining that for, for me, and I hope this isn't offensive, but the way I like to look at it is if someone adopted an individual from a different culture, let's say um, a, a black child, you would still want to immerse them, and you were Caucasian, you'd still want to immerse them in their history, in their heroes, in, in their culture. And what is happening with neurotypical or non-autistic parents that have autistic children is I think sometimes they're missing the aspect that autism is not only a diagnosis, but it's also an identity and a culture. So it's so important to understand that culture and where you come from and what the history is and who your people are. So identifying what does autism mean to you as an individual? Is it something that you want to label yourself with? Is it something you want to identify with? And if so, then is it a disorder? Is it a condition? Is it a diagnosis? Or it is simply a different way of processing and seeing and being in the world? So that would be a first step. And the second step would be finding your culture, finding your people so that you can validate and realize that you aren't alone, that there are millions of other people out there who have the same very similar experiences with generalized anxiety and post-traumatic stress and social fears and needing to have, you know, a day or two off to recuperate from going to a, a small party that you aren't alone in your anticipatory anxiety and your... Um, 
issues with short-term and long or long-term memory, whatever it may be, and looking at that you're not alone in your challenges and then looking from there that you're also also have this these gifts and this beauty that you can bring to the world from having a different perspective from being able to think outside the box from not being this militant soldier that follows these social norms but actually questioning why are we doing it this way marcy tell us some of the factors that played into your winning the community achievement award in 2017 at the ANCA World Autism Festival. That is a festival that's held in Vancouver, Canada, and Leonora is one of the founders. And I had attended um, the conference in 2016 and was hugely inspired by it. It was gatherings from a gathering from people all over the world. And what I really appreciated about the place is the young or the children and the young adults on the spectrum there were some who didn't speak in a traditional way and they were allowed to stim and just walk back and forth and make noises and be themselves and there it was nothing about how do we fix this it was all about how do we celebrate autistics and our skills and talents and and accomplishments and so how it came about is i was recognized for my accomplishment of community outreach. I've out, I've had correspondences voluntarily unpaid with probably over 10,000 people on the spectrum through social media and through conferences and such emails. And that was one of the reasons I was recognized and also from my work at Ultra Testing, creating a neurodiverse hiring process that really reflects best hiring practices and best practices for those on the spectrum. And I was recognized for my contribution of the book Everyday Asperger's, which is my journey from childhood to current times of what it's like to look through the eyes of a female on the spectrum. So it was a kind, kind of a combination of my history over the last several years of what I'd been doing and where I'd put my times and effort. And I was very humbled and, and delighted at the same time because it's one of the most beautiful experiences I had going to that conference because of the genuine, genuine respect and love that was given to everyone there, despite their how they might seem or appear different. Very, very nice and very, you're very deserving of any award they can give you, really. Um, how does our audience learn more about you? I have a website that I mentioned earlier, Spectrum Suite. It's myspectrumsuite.com, and suite is in an office suite, S-U-I-T-E. And actually there, I have a page that I worked on while at Ultra that's it's probably over two, maybe three years work. And it's an employment resource page that lists dozens and dozens of resources for autistics related to employment, including who's hiring those on the spectrum and organizations and vocational organizations as well, autistic organizations. The website has links to my three blogs, Everyday Asperger's, Everyday Aspie, and Belly of a Star, which is my artistic poetry blog. It has links to hundreds of blogs from autistic individuals. It has, it has information on where to go to advocate for yourself, self-advocacy groups. It has safe Facebook groups for autistics and Asperger's um, individuals to join. It also explains a little bit more about me, my books, 
Um, and it also has interviews, including Judy Singer, the founder of the term neurodiversity. Um, so there's interviews of some, some autistics, both um, public figures and, and artists there. So there's just a wealth of information. It's, it's kind of my baby. Um, one of my interests is autism. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of it's kind of my art piece of autism there. Um, it also, one of my favorite article, articles on there is what what can I do now if I think I'm on the I'm on the autism spectrum? What what do, can I do now or what now? Something like that. And at the bottom of that article, it lists many different resources for females on the spectrum, books and organizations uh, that they can go to. So it's a great launching pad could be a bit overwhelming, but you could likely spend a few years there at the website if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> um, give us your definition from your unique perspective of neurodiversity. For me, neurodiversity is the ways that some individuals' brains differ from the typical brain which doesn't mean that it's less than or greater than. It just means that it sometimes presents as different and it's a different way of seeing and perceiving and processing the world. And that neurodiversity isn't something that needs to be seen as a disability or isn't something that's a disability. It's, it's just a way of being uh, in this world and that the more we can recognize people's differences and accept them and value them, the better place it will be for everyone. And the neurodiversity umbrella is growing. It includes those on the spectrum, those that have ADHD, um, mood disorders like PTSD, generalized anxiety disorder, dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyspraxia, um, and it's also growing to include even people who've had brain injuries. So, I mean, feasibly, it can continue to grow until everyone's neurodiverse. <laughs> well, that's, that is very well said. That is very well said. Thank you for that. Um, Marcy, a curiosity question. How did you choose your pen name of Samantha Craft? <laughs> I actually talk about that in my book. So it kind of it kind of embeds both my personalities here. So I've got this quirky sense of humor, kind of a very optimistic, let's look on the bright side and and then I, and childlike and then I've got this very serious logical, let's get things done side. And so Samantha is actually named after Bewitched. <laughs> <laughs> the character on Bewitched. <laughs> and so that's my light kind of fun side. And then Kraft was named after a woman that I nannied for when I was um, paying my way through college to become a school teacher. I was working at a Catholic daycare and Eloise Kraft was a parent that came up to me and, and asked if I would nanny her children in the summer. And we had this beautiful initial connection where she said she'd actually had a dream about me before she met me and I'd had a dream about her. So it was wow. this, this spiritual connection. And when I got there, I already knew, I'd already seen the place in my mind's eye. And we had a, almost a mother-daughter relationship for several years. And then at age 50, she passed away of a brain tumor. Oh, I'm sorry. And so um, there's a story of her in there in my book. 
Um, and so it's, it's in memory of someone who would, had a great faith in God, was a very gentle spirit, loving, open, intelligent, and who served as a um, nurturing mother figure for me when I was in a town without, you know, without that. So, oh, what yeah. a beautiful story. So it's, I mean, it really does encompass my personality. <laughs> Giggling one minute, crying the next. <laughs> uh, Marcy Chompy, who writes under the nom de plume of Samantha Kraft, it's been such a pleasure having you today on Exploring Different Brains. Thank you so much for being with us. I really enjoyed the opportunity and your presence and felt very comfortable speaking with you. And thank you again for everything you're doing to contribute to the neurodiverse community. Thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.